The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. I'm Janice Bryant-Halroyd, founder and CEO of the Act One Group. You know, I founded the company in 1978, and today we're covering every aspect of workforce on behalf of the applicants, the people who are actually performing the work. I think it's really important to understand that we are still in a place where women may not get all of the opportunity we deserve, but there's something that my community teaches. We say almost in chant style in my family. It's not what they call you, and you'll hear people respond. It's what you answer to. And I think that applies on a social level and in business as well. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. Helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Janice Bryan Howroyd is founder and CEO of the Act One Group, one of the largest workforce solutions companies in the country. She's also the first African American woman to build and own a billion dollar company. She explains why she feels most successful when she pays it forward. Genesee said, "Growing up, your mom saved nickels and quarters to buy you and your ten siblings books. What did that teach you about money?" Well, it taught me this thing that you really do count money from a very basic level, but. At the end of the day, it's not the counting of money; it's how money counts in the total equation. Money was an enabler toward books that then enabled us to go out and create better successes for ourselves. You said you didn't have all the pages in your school books when you were a child, and that helped prepare you for entrepreneurship. How so? Let me be very, very clear, Veronica. While the lack of all the pages in the book did give me the opportunity to exercise my own intelligence and my commitment to my education. I don't recommend it as a stimulus for education. I want everybody to have all the pages. And as a woman in business, I really do demand that we get more of those pages so that we go to the table better prepared. That said, what actually happened is that I used the lack of pages to be a reason to not do as well in a science class. Is it amazing that today? Um, here I am, the uh, st- starting up my own company, All STEM, to support women and minorities in science, technology, engineering, and math careers. Back then, we weren't thinking STEM. I simply had decided to shirk off in a physical science class. I went home and might with my、uh, report card. Back then, they were written grades in ink on yellow paper. And I showed it to my dad, and it wasn't a failing grade, but it wasn't an A. And I was a straight A student, and it disappointed my dad so gravely, and he chastised me. And flippantly, I just said, "Well, Dad, you know, after all, I don't even have all the pages in the book." And he said, "You know, that's never a reason to fail. You're smart enough to read the pages you do have and figure out what's missing." And then after that, my mom, who more than my dad devastated me with the tears in her eyes, she said, "Janice, here's what I want you to do: when you figure out what's missing, you write it down and you tape it in, so that the student who comes after you won't have to figure out what's missing." I kind of think that's how I've、um, 
I've chosen to live my life since then. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you said the hardest year of your life was when you integrated at a white school. Would you share some of the difficulties you endured? You know, civil rights is something that still is uh, iterative. At the point that I was growing up, it was the subject of the day in a very physical way. And my small hometown was a very pleasant place, a very beautiful community. And most of the families there had lived there for years. And Panola Street divided my hometown between white and black. And the diversity that you see now when you go to Tarboro, North Carolina, didn't exist then. It was black people on one side of Panola Street and white people on the other. And the federal government stepped up in many communities during that time, Veronica, and said that you're going to have to integrate to continue to get funding. And our town solution was that some black kids would go to the white school initially. And I was, guess who, picked as one of those who would go over by our own community, not by the system. Uh, The idea was that if some of the smart kids volunteered and went over to the white school, it would help people to understand that we weren't automatically going to lessen the quality of education or the experience for students. However, it was a horrible year for me because, number one, I felt very alone. And number two, um, there were some incidents that felt rather hostile uh, uh, to me. My dad, though, insisted that I make a decision about going back to the school on my own, and he gave me three choices. He said, you can uh, leave and come back to Patillo, which was the school right across the street from where I lived, as opposed to the school across town, which required a walk with the escort of my brothers. He said, you can stay And you can do really, really well. And by the way, you will do really, really well because there were 11 of us and dad was and mom were determined that all 11 would uh, get university degrees. And so he needed some scholarships as part of that package. He threatened to sell the home in order to educate us if we didn't get the scholarships. And so we all worked toward that. His third solution was that he could go up to the school and he could, you know, present himself physically, which really was more bravado, and I'm in this with you than anything. Um, I guess you know that I chose to stick it out that year. Uh, And I'm really glad I did. It taught me a lot about learning that to this day I use in business. We're all meeting new cultures every day, and we're becoming parts of evolving cultures. Um, I was really young at that time, though, and it felt very, very difficult for me. Um, And so sticking it out felt Olympic on my part. But I had brothers and sisters who were really in in the march with me, figuratively speaking, As a matter of fact, my brothers would escort me to school before their school began, and then they'd rush across town to be there to walk with me home at the end of the day. And that's been an element of how our family has operated all these years. When people applaud me for building a business, there's never a chance that I lose to say it's been a family engagement that's helped me to do that. And it started way back then. How did that experience shape your view of humanity? You know, because I grew up in such a small town and um, a very, very nesting community and my family was so close. I grew up at a time, same mom, same dad. Um, 
my view of humanity was fuller than my immediate experience, and I credit my mom and my dad for that. Here's one thing. You asked me earlier about my experience with my mom saving her nickels and her quarters for books. My mom always wanted to make sure that we saw the world bigger. We were also a very church-based community, and oftentimes when people think about the communities such as I grew up in, they think about them being Bible-based, and I grew up in the Bible Belt. Here's the thing. The church was the center of the community for us. Yes, from a religious perspective, it was also a social uh, opportunity. When we did voter drives or when we had initiatives that were of a social nature, those all were discussed. Those happened at and around the church as well. So, my community experience was a very nurturing one. The world looked bigger to me because I had the advantage of books, and I had parents who had experienced different places. So my faith in humanity was very strong. My belief about what could happen was very strong. And because I had such determined parents and a very nesting family, what was going on in our community did not feel hostile to me. If those were the occurrences like today, it probably would feel more hostile. It never felt right, Veronica. But I grew up at a time in our country where it was the occasion of the day that segregation existed. We were fighting against something that had been institutionalized. And so the day-to-day occurrence of living in a segregated community did not feel as strongly negative as one might think looking back on it from a historical or academic perspective. You started your business with about $1,000 in savings and a $900 loan from your mom. What's the secret to making a lot of money from a little? I actually had 900 in savings and 600 from my mom. But whether the math works out, the circumstance is the same. Let me say this. Money is a measurement that many people use for success. I like to think that the opportunity to impact people's lives, especially in ways that I strongly care about, are the better reward from for what I do. Now, I have employees who really enjoy earning great incomes. Um, and so, I'm not unaware of the impact, but for me, it's the impact I'm able to make, the fact that you're interested in what I have to say, and that somebody listening may be inspired, encouraged, taught, or chastised. That's a huge impact, and how do you put a monetary value on that? After I get enough food, and these days my kids have me eating really healthy, so, you know... Uh, I'm not eating that much um, after I have enough shoes and enough dresses. I mean, what what is what is it that I want on a personal level? You know, stuff at some point becomes enough, but there's never enough that from the engagement that you can have, actually getting into something you care about, having a voice that's respected. That is the payoff for me right now. After the basics have been met, it's the ability to impact passionately and effectively the things that I care about. That's the value for me. That's what $900 plus, plus my mom's 600 loan gave me. What do you say to women who want their own business but aren't wealthy? At base, what I say to women who want their own business is the same thing I'd say to anyone who wants their own business. And that is, you've got to make sure that you 
are committed to the truth of why you want it. There are various reasons people start businesses. Some want a cottage business. Some want to groom a business for sale. And others really have that bigger vision that, you know, I'm going to grow this thing and it will live beyond me. You've got to really identify why you want that business. That's really important. Uh, You've also got to understand that you're not the only one in that journey and that the first employee you hire immediately makes you the lesser important employee in the equation understand the industry and the market that you're in. And while that can sound condescending, or we would assume that people automatically know that, that's something that even larger organizations consistently have to be aware of. I mean, immediately what comes to mind is IBM. IBM started out as international business machines, and you can visit any of their uh, uh, sites online and see some of the things that they were selling initially. But the market changed, and they reinvented themselves. And today, they're selling services more than they are products. In that same vein, understand where your market is. When I started my company, it was a an industry that was people supported by technology. Today, it's technology supported by people. Understand, we've influenced some of that from my own company. So understand where your market is and get in front of it, I think is really important. And history happens a lot quicker these days. So it's important to be a student of your industry as well as of your business. What advice would you give women who find that people don't want to do business with them because of their race or their gender? An interesting thing occurred for me. You know, as the founder of my business, I was also a chief sales officer for my business. That's a nice way of saying I was on my hustle, right? Um, And so a lot of people got to associate my business with me, kind of like when you think of Mrs. C's, you get a visual. Uh, And um, actually, they hashtag me now as queen of the workforce. Um, That was great. And it allowed a lot of people who liked me to do business with me. Um, But very quickly, I realized that when I was going for those larger opportunities, sometimes people who had a visual of me automatically applied my gender or my ethnicity to my ability. And that could count against me in going for those bigger opportunities. It was when I started to develop technologies and our acceleration suite of technologies is what companies are buying these days. Um, that I started to see the impact of my ethnicity and gender not play as heavily as it did before. So I think it's really important to understand that we are still in a place where women may not get all of the opportunity we deserve, but there's something that my community teaches, and some of your listeners may be familiar with this. We say almost in chant style in my family, it's not what they call you, and you'll hear people respond, it's what you answer to. And I think that applies on a social level and in business as well. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence, Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today.
Drive time, gym time, anytime. WSJ Podcast. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. You said women should expect success. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, just as with me and giving up the ghost is my past, oftentimes we are very cognizant of the things working against us and our own experiences can kind of stem fear within us. I think we should step out expecting success. Don't step out expecting all of the things that can happen. I'm not saying being foolhardy is the antidote. But I do think, Veronica, that we have to expect success. We work toward what we expect. In business, we all know that we inspect what we expect. I think we can give a little more self-inspection and work on those things so that when we step out into that business world, we're making sure we're not only bringing our best selves, but we expect to win from that. Do you think some women are doing that, though, just because they're afraid they're going to get disappointed if they don't win? Well, I mean, lowering expectations so that you don't have to lose as big is common for women, men, and everybody. I think what happens is that we've been so conditioned that we're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far that we start going out there with that expectation. And once we get halfway, if it doesn't feel that the journey, you know, we're reaching it, we kind of give up on the journey. And that's where I think the error is. You're one of the nation's wealthiest self-made women. How does your life change when you have that kind of wealth? You know, my mom likes to say that um, the manner in which you live should not dictate the manner in which you live. Okay? The M-A-N-O-R in which you live should not dictate the M-A-N-N-E-R in which you live. So here's my thing. I'm a part of a very clannish family, very large family. And on Sundays, dinner at my table is usually 16, 20 people, sometimes 22 people. I got a very large table, so success does allow me to have that, okay? We eat on china and crystal, and we use sterling but we're still eating collard greens and chicken I cook myself and candied yams. And I still know how to make really good cornbread. It's not as good as my brother Freddie's is, but I still make a decent cornbread as well. The things that we care about, the things that nurture us, the things that feed us, the foods we enjoy. Some of it, some of it's grown right there in my backyard. Thank God I got a backyard. Money affords that as well. But what goes on the table is the same thing that I was eating when I was one of 11 kids. So mom and a dad and Tarbor. North Carolina, you know, over 60 years ago. That hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's more expensive to find that stuff because they don't sell it every day in my neighborhood. But yeah, the things that I really care about, um, money doesn't buy that for me. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, be foolhardy and say, oh, money doesn't matter. Money matters a lot. And money has helped me to buy some of the things I care about, like education for women in STEM, minority scholarships at HBCUs. Money's helped me deliver that. But money hasn't changed what I eat. Money hasn't changed who I eat it with. And money hasn't changed who I pray with and who I pray for. When you're successful, you said you have to know who you can bring with you and whom to send money home to. How do you figure that out? Well, just finished talking about having a big family and people love to talk about, oh, wow, all your family works in your business. No, all my family not in my business. Some of them get a little help on the side and don't come into the business. Those who come in have earned their path. They are highly educated. My sister has an engineering degree and a master's degree. Um, 
you know, they've been very instrumental in me growing my business, but everybody doesn't fit in the business and everybody else in your business needs to know that your family doesn't interfere with their opportunity to grow as well. You know, in the early days of my business, my brother Carlton was so instrumental to everything I did. I mean, and sometimes he was a lawyer, sometimes he was an accountant, sometimes he was a salesperson, and sometimes he was that shoulder to cry on or, you know, that person to tell me to get over myself and let's get on with it. Uh, And then we grew. And since Carlton joined my business, so did, you know, six other siblings. My sister, Sandy, who I went to visit in California, was actually the first employee. And so these are people who brought a lot of value to the business. Carlton continues to be valuable to the business. But there are family members who aren't going to bring that type value to the business. And we've also got to make sure that no matter how valuable a family member is to the business, they can't overwhelm the opportunity for other people who join the business. Now, the culture in my organization, even though we do have a lot of people working in over 22 countries, is that we feel the family of who we are. So there are employees who brought their family members into my business as well. They follow the same standard as I do. They bring family members who can add value to the organization and who do not feel a legacy of inheritance by virtue of uh you know, familial relationship. And I think that's really important that everybody can feel a part of the family. And if you set the standards different, that's not going to happen. How do you tell a family member they may not be the right fit for your business? Honey, you're not the right fit for this. But you know what? Because I'm in the job finding business, I can help you find the right fit you need. Now, that's my instance. I think Most people can be honest. Being direct really is important because, after all, there are going to be times you're with that family member when you're not in business and they're going to be at your table. Maybe you won't see 22 like I do on Sundays, but there are going to be times, whether it's birthdays, Christmas or whatever, that you're going to be sitting with people, you know, in celebratory fashion. And you want to make sure that you're supporting them and they're supporting you on the emotional and in the family way. And so being honest is always the best policy, especially especially when it comes to telling people not instead of yes. Have you ever had to fire anybody, family member? I've not personally had to fire a family member. However, I did have a sister-in-law who worked with us who we uh, escorted out of the business. I didn't handle it. My dear brother Carlton did. But it was coming from me just the same in her eyes because we are a very tight family. You've decided to keep your company private. How come? One of the best things about uh, being the CEO and the founder of my organization is that I'm able to steer where we're going in very agile ways. Now, Agile One is one of our brands. Uh, It's not founded under that name accidentally. And so what it means for me is that I'm able to make sure that I'm reading the temperature, reading the market and getting in front of it in an absolute way. And keeping our company private has enabled me to make some very valuable decisions, decisions that were we a publicly held company, I may have a longer process to get that answer to. I think that the members of our organization enjoy that. The leadership and the people who work on teams in our company really like the environment of being able to uh, innovate solutions. You know, when you walk into our corporate office in Torrance, you'll see on the wall feet, and it's about the feet upon which we stand, and that's F-E-E-T, freedom to innovate, excellence in delivery, because everything matters time is invested to understand, you get the truth of that 
in a privately held company right now. And they're very good publicly held companies. And I believe that, um, you know, society and commerce are well visited to have both right now in the phase of growth we're in, it's really nice for us to be private. And I'm enjoying it a lot because as a woman-owned company, I'm also able to evidence the fullness of the things I believe in within the organization in a different way, I think, than if I were not the chief voting member of the decision-making. What do you think of the wage growth in the United States today? Um, You know, it's interesting. I remember... Being a kid and my mom talking about my dad getting a raise, and I remember her talking about a salary of 36 U.S. dollars. Now, that can make me sound really, really old, or it can tell us the changes that have occurred in society. So it's a two-sided thing for me. On the one hand, I do appreciate that, um, you know, Wages are changing just as work is changing, and we are paying people to manage ideas and processes today, whereas there was a time when we paid people to manage productivity and stuff. Um, but right now, for me, looking at wage, I the other side of that coin is that women aren't there on wages. And, you know, depending on who's giving you the numbers, we verge between 70 to 80 cents on the U.S. dollar to a man. And I think this is repeated across the globe in many ways that women aren't, you know, equal pay uh, for equal work. And so that's a great concern for me. I do see entrepreneurship as a way for women to uh, excel and to change their personal dynamics. I also believe, though, that uh, women engaging more in STEM sector work as employees is going to help a lot. Um, I think that we have a great opportunity to do the work that's necessary. I also think, though, that we have to be real that the work is necessary. We're not there yet as women in equal pay for equal work. What do you say to people who are worried their jobs will be replaced by artificial intelligence? Forget the fear. Forget the fear. Learn to work in concert with this. You know, um, companies are recognizing this, too, though. And I look at the um, I, I look at the workforce today and I look at it across the globe. And here's the thing. Smart companies really do hire the people they want five years out. They're not hiring for who they need now. They're hiring for five years out. Is this an employee who can help my company five years from now? Yet many of those job descriptions that we'll need five years from now aren't yet defined. Um, So everybody's in a very interesting place. I think it's one of the best thing women can do, though, is to make sure that if you're already employed, that you're working with companies who have an investment and have a value in making sure that you get educated, up-educated, retrained, you know. And I also think it's important that we start to talk with women at a very young age about what they're studying and make sure that they're studying in the STEM sector as well. I, As with my experience, When I integrated technology into my solution, it kind of started to help level the playing field. Yeah, people still started with other companies and then they failed and they came to us. I didn't enjoy that process, but I was in line 
when they came. And I think it's really important that we, as women, make sure that young women understand the value of STEM, because no matter where you're working, STEM is impacting somehow that you be successful. And by the way, it doesn't just include where you work as in line with the company or the industry. It's also in line with where you're working in the organization. Time now for your secrets. I'm Janice bryant Ruud, and my money secret is make sure you invest versus spend. Invest first, spend later. Check back for all new episodes this fall featuring personal finance guru Susie Orman and best-selling author Mary Higgins-Clark. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos with special help from J.R. Whalen. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.